Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, and today I am joined by Nikias Duncan. He uh, covers the, the Miami Heat for Five Reasons Sports and the Miami Heat Beat on Blue Wire Pods, as well as the NBA at Large for Bleacher Report, SB Nation, and Dime. Uh, he's one of the, the many gatekeepers of NBA Twitter and just an awesome follow all around. Uh, super psyched to be joined by you again. I mean, we, we had a pod fully recorded out and everything. And then we found out that Victor Oladipo was coming back about an hour after we were done recording. So we uh, th- thank you for, uh, for, for taking the time to come back on and rehash things out. How are you doing today, man? Uh, I am doing well. And also, <clears throat> hashtag this game. <laughs> because Victor Oladipo news breaking right after the podcast is incredibly on brand. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Hopefully, uh, this pod sticks. <laughs> we'll see if anything pops out in the next couple hours or so. So, actually, a really funny thing before we get started. You tweeted out, I think it was last week, uh, you were on a, a, a heat media call, and you were about to ask Spo a question, and your mic was off. And I related to that so heavily because I did uh, I had my first first ever media availability with the Pacers uh, probably two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I got to ask Miles Turner a question. I get, you know, like 10 seconds into my question. Yo, your mic's off, dog. And so I, I totally feel you where you're coming from. Uh, these Zoom meetings are a, a, just a, a bitch and a half to get used to. But, uh, yeah, so I, I felt that. Oh, man, just uh, was, I was able to laugh about it after the fact. Good Lord, man. Good oh, dude, I, was, I turned so red in the middle of that. I think there were, like, probably 30 other people in the meeting. I was like, Man. And it happens, obviously, but it's, it was great. It made it a little bit easier when I, I was on the call for, with uh, with Victor Oladipo the next week. I think Malika Andrews' mic messed up, and I was like, so, you know, if it happens to somebody who's that high up ESPN, yeah. too, I, I can't be that bad. But, right, right. So, you know, getting into everything first, I, I think I want to ask you, like, how would you, how would you grade this season so far for the Heat? Um, you know, like, did you – what were your expectations kind of coming into the year and um, how would you say they played out for you? Uh, I feel like I was right and wrong at the same time. Uh, before the season, I did think Miami was going to compete for a top four seed, being at 3-4 range. But I thought with the addition of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo getting more minutes with Hassan Whiteside gone, I thought Miami was going to be an elite defense. And I thought they would fight for a top four seed because the offense would flow within like 15th, 16th, somewhere they would be fine while the defense carries them. But this year it's been the exact opposite. Miami's been a top 6-10 to 10 offense all season long, and the defense just kind of hasn't been there for most of the season. Um, they've been pretty much middle of the pack. I think they're 7th in offensive rating um, coming into the restart now. Um, I did not anticipate them to score as well as they did, and that's mostly because they have shot the basketball from deep better than any other team in the league this year. Did not anticipate Duncan Robinson becoming basically a 6'8 Steph Curry. Um, Kendrick Nunn has provided some shooting. Goran Dragic has provided some shooting. He's added a step back to his repertory. He's kind of been um, playing with the last couple of years. He's really fully unleashed it now. Like They've just gotten shooting all over the floor, and it's kind of masked what Jimmy Butler has, hasn't done in that respect. His jumper has completely left him, but Jimmy Butler has also been – he's still been impactful offensively with the way that he's playmate, with the way that he's gotten to the line. Um He's empowered Bam Adebayo, who has taken a leap even beyond what I thought he would take this year offensively as a hub. Um, it's been a pretty fun team to watch overall, just seeing them uh, just blow teams out of the water. Um, they've had some really high-scoring games against Cleveland in particular. Um, not the best team, but, I mean, once you see Duncan Robson drop nine threes and a half or something like that, it's just kind of like, wow, this just isn't what I expected at all. 
Um, I think the, se- the season has been a success um, so far. Yeah, yeah. I I really like what you what you mentioned about Drogic because I think that that was one of the kind of undernoted things of the season. Uh, I think Drogic is definitely still like you know a quality like quality starter level player for sure. But uh, Spo bringing him off the bench I think was huge. You know, especially you know when you're looking from afar and you start seeing uh, Kendrick Nunn gets gets starting minutes and um, Drogic comes off and he's producing incredibly well off the bench. Uh, it, I think it just goes to show how good of a coach Eric Spolster is and. Uh, it, it's it's funny too, like looking at how I think there was. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there was kind of some discourse about Spo um, in some of the years after, especially you know after Chris Bosh was was out a little bit with with injuries, um, and it, it, you know this has just been a total renaissance year for him and 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 what he's done for that organization. Yeah, I think he caught a little bit directly after the big uh, directly after the big three because they kind of flamed out against San Antonio. And then the next year, they did deal with injuries, but they ended up missing the playoffs. But then they respond with a great 15-16 season. They kind of flames out because of injuries. I mean, Justice Winslow was a rookie starting at center <laughs> in a game seven with all those injuries. It then follows that up with arguably his best coaching job when Miami goes on that 30-11 and 11 run in 16-17 with a bunch of cast-offs. Um, I think the post-LeBron years have mostly been good to Spo, especially in terms of his reputation. Like, it, it kind of validated just how good of a coach he was. It was kind of hard. If you weren't following day-to-day, it was kind of hard to see what Air Sports really did with that team, especially during the Big Three era. Because it's easy to say, hey, LeBron has the ball. He's the best player in basketball. You don't have to do much. And I think from an offensive perspective, that's kind of true, just because LeBron can dictate a game like no other. And when you have a guy like Dwayne Wade, especially when he was upright, that can kind of go off for 30 and 10 if he needs to. Uh, Chris Bosh can score whatever. Um, I think it's easy to kind of um, try to give 95% of the credit to those players. But I think Air Sports has been one of the best basketball minds in the league for quite some time. And I think he's really starting to get his flowers now. Oh, 100%. And it's crazy, too. He's still, like, one of the youngest coaches in the league, <laughs> even though it feels like he's been in the league for forever. Um, but – I think he's also one of the longest tenured, which is, you know, I guess in the NBA, it's not, uh, it's hard to be the longest tenured coach, but once you're mm-hmm. there for four or five years, you're pretty much it. But um, so, you know, <laughs> kind of getting back to this year, you know, and speaking on the defense, what do you think uh, has kind of happened with the defense and, and caused that, that drop off? Because I mean, especially with Spo, um, that, that defense has been staunch uh, since LeBron left and when he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest issue with Miami's defense has been at the point of attack. Uh, Miami primarily wants to be a drop defensive team. They want their guards to fight over screens. They want to funnel those ball handlers into the intermediate range, force tough floaters, tough pull-up mid-range jumpers. Those are low-efficiency shots. And they want to hug those three-point shooters on the corners, you know, kind of limit those attempts as well. Um, Kendrick Nunn started out the year as a solid point of attack offender. He's kind of jumping screens, um, playing the passing lanes off ball. But once the scouting report kind of got out on him, um, guards started back-cutting him. Um, you saw more elaborate options up top. Um, he's particularly struggled against, like, Atlanta's double drag, just kind of getting stuck on screens. And in a drop scheme, once your point of attack defender gets caught on the screen, if he can't recover, that puts the rest of the defense in rotation. And in today's NBA, as spacey as it is, you can't afford to be in rotation often because offenses have gotten more sophisticated. They've gotten more efficient you will get burned if you can't contain the basketball. And I think that's where all those issues have started. Um, Kendrick Nunn hasn't been particularly good since December on the defensive end. Goran Dragic just hasn't been good on the defensive end. And those are the two guys that are going point guards most of the time. 
Um, the Heat have tried to compensate with playing more zone. I think they lead the NBA in zone possessions this year. Um, but you can only do that for so long, especially against t- other teams that can shoot. Uh, that's why they've had issues with Sacramento in particular. Who, um, I mean, they're going to be in the bubble, but they aren't world beaters. But they have shooting just about everywhere. So they've given Miami trouble, and some other teams have as well. Um, since the, um, they made the trade to get Justice Winslow out of there, they brought in Andre Dollar, Jay Crowder. Kind of gives them some guys that um, allow them more flexibility on the defensive end. They've been switching a lot more since the trade deadline. Um, I think that's been kind of not necessarily a placebo, but that's kind of a way that they've tried to keep the ball in front, just switching bodies. And if you give up a bad mismatch somewhere else, you kind of live with those post-ups or whatever. But they want to find a way to contain the basketball. And I think that's why Miami has – I mean, throughout this year, they've been one of the best teams in terms of the percentage of shots they allow at the rim. They've been top 10 all year long in that regard. But they've also been one of the worst teams in basketball at actually defending those shots when guys touch the paint. And I think that speaks to their, t- their um, issues up top. That, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, especially, you know, I, I believe you're completely right on on, uh, on zone possessions. Uh, Indy kind of experimented with zone a little bit towards the end of the year because we were having some of the same issues. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is a solid point of attack defender, but he really started to struggle with injuries down the break, which uh, led to a lot of need for zone usage. Um, I, I kind of wonder, you know, I was, I was toying with this idea today when I was, when I was prepping a little bit. Uh, do you think that the zone is going to be a mainstay in the playoffs still? Do you think that can kind of continue um, in seven-game series or, you know, potentially seven-game series when uh, it becomes a little bit more matchup predicated? Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I think, um, as you kind of alluded to, it's going to be matchup dependent. If Miami sees Indiana in particular, um, depending on what Malcolm brought the status is, depending on if Victor Oladipo plays, um, I think there's going to be room for Miami to run some zone, just kind of muck things up, just because DeMontis Sabonis operates. I mean, he does operate so much of the offense in the middle of the floor. Um, in those dribble handoffs and stuff like that. If you can cl- kind of muck up the middle, I think that can do a lot of things to kind of um, knock Indiana's offense out of flow. Uh, Miami's experimented with a lot of zone against Philadelphia this year. I think that's one of the issues. Why uh, That's one of the reasons why Philadelphia has struggled against Miami this season. Um, they just haven't had the shooting with Ben Simmons on the floor, with Joel Levine on the floor, with Al Horford kind of not looking like himself. So it wouldn't surprise me if Miami goes zone against um, those teams if he sees if they see them. Might see some zone against Milwaukee's, particularly if they have Giannis and Eric Blitz on the floor at the same time. That's gonna be a, that's gonna be two guys that you can kind of help off of depending on where the ball is. If Miami finds themselves on the other side of the bracket and you get Boston or you get Toronto, then I think you're in trouble because those teams they have a bunch of wings that can shoot, they can score, they can play make, and I don't think Miami can really muck up the game in that way consistently. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that, and I, I, I'm definitely wary of playing, uh, playing the Heat. I think, uh, we, you know, we talked about it last time, and I think the Heat are probably the best matchup for the Pacers, but also a tough one, uh, because this team is, you know, dead last in three point attempts. We can hit threes, uh, but we just don't take them enough. And yeah, I, so I think you know, just transitioning into a potential series, because right now it's looking more and more likely that you know, if things play out the way that they are set right now, uh. The Indy, Indy Miami is a very likely playoff scenario. Um, so I, I think going into it, looking at it kind of top down, uh, I, it's pretty easy to say Jimmy Butler is going to be the best player in this series if it does happen. And, you know, even if it doesn't, we have the two, two matchups coming up that I'm definitely 
uh, excited to see happen. Uh, TJ Warren and, and Jimmy Butler back at it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so even if Vic's completely healthy, I think, I mean, Jimmy Butler put in an all NBA season this year, uh, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I put him on my, all, my third team. I don't have a vote, but if I did, uh, third team. Uh, but yeah, I actually, I have an interesting take on who I think the second best player would be. Who, who would you put as the second best player in this series? Um, I think, and it's probably going to sound like a little bit of homerism, I think Miami would have the best two players in that series, especially if Victor Oladipo is out. Because I do think what Bam Adebayo brings to the defensive end of the floor kind of puts him above DeMontis Sabonis. Mm-hmm. So I think Bam would still be the second best player in that series. Um, he would probably, I would assume in that particular matchup, especially since Myers Leonard is healthy now, I would assume that Bam would probably take the Miles Turner assignment since Miles Turner is the spacier of the two. And they'll probably park Miles Leonard at the paint, just kind of make DeMontis Sabonis take mid-range shots or to kind of contest them at the rim. But um, at any rate, I do think uh, I think Jimmy and Bam is probably your top two there, and then Sabonis is third. So yeah, all right. I actually I I completely agree with you. I had Bam as uh, probably the second best guy. Uh, just to kind of back away from that a little bit, what it, like did you? So you said earlier you didn't expect this at all from Bam, right? Because his uh his season, like his his total leap this year has been crazy, and I think mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hype's been given to Brandon Ingram, and rightfully so. I mean, he he jumped off this year, but. Uh, Bam's emergence as just a two-way force this year has been pretty remarkable to watch. Yeah, I the creation has been the biggest surprise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also because I didn't expect him to get as much offensive usage. Um, if you parse through some of his, um, his numbers in his first couple of years, the one thing that always kind of stuck out with me looking at him was that his, uh, his free throw rate was always pretty high for big. And I was like, hmm. I have seen a little bit of flashes of ball handling ability. He gets to the line when he does get those touches. I'm interested to see what he looks like as like a primary pick and roll big because he's never been that because Hassan Whiteside was getting most of their usage. And once you come off the bench, then, you know, he's playing with less talented guards. So you didn't really get to see him flourish in that role. But when he did get there, you did see some of the passing flashes. So I always thought that he could be a dynamic pick and roll guy. What I did not expect was for Miami to make him their high post hub and for him to run as many dribble handoffs as he does and to kind of adopt that Kelly Olenek fake pass out of dribble handoff of driving to the basket where he can show off either that finishing or that play passing ability. I didn't think he was going to get that kind of usage. And I also didn't think he was going to excel at the rate that he has this year. So I think that's really been the biggest leap for him. He's been trusted with a lot of responsibility and he's taken to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's kind of incredible to watch too. Like he, there are a lot of similarities that you can draw between him and, uh, and Domas, um, particularly in the way that they're used uh, in the high post to, to generate offense. Uh, obviously I think, uh, Miami runs it a little bit quicker and, um, with some different actions because of how well you guys attribute shooting. Um, mm-hmm. I actually watched the play. It was very scary today. It was, a uh, an immediate dribble handoff, uh, into Duncan Robinson off transition. So it was, um, Bam, you know, seeing somebody 6'9", like 260 pounds, uh, dribbling down floor as fast as Bam <laughs> does is, is a little a little frightening. I can't even imagine having to defend that. Um, but he, just a real quick rip off to, uh, to Duncan for, I think it was a three within like three or four seconds, mm-hmm. um, which that is uh, not something I'm excited about the Pacers having to guard eventually. <laughs> um, but it's so, you know, and going back into to looking at the top-down rotation, so I totally agree on on Bam and, and Jimmy being the two best players in the series. Um, 
But then I think the Pacers kind of cleanly, even if uh, even if Victor doesn't play, um, I think you know if you look at kind of spots like three through five, three through six, the mm-hmm. Pacers pretty cleanly have have that that locked up, and I feel a little bit more confident in um, in the Pacers top rotation players compared to the fall off between Jimmy and Bam to the rest of the starters um, for the heat. But that's just, I mean, obviously that's just my opinion. Uh, I kind of wonder what your thoughts are on, on the Pacers starters and the seasons they had. Um, I Obviously that's a, now I think about it, that's a pretty wide open loaded question, but uh, <laughs> I mean, looking at TJ Warren, TJ Warren had an incredible year, like some all-star guy, Bam. I mean, not Bam. Uh, Del Moss was an all-star this year. Miles struggled a little bit, but he, he's he's a lot better than I think uh, people give him credit for sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brogdon obviously was great, just suffered through some injuries. But oh no, I think that's definitely fair. Um, I think Nate McMillan's name should firmly be in the coach of the year race just because of what he's done with the team in the midst of the injuries that he's had to deal with. Um, I would probably agree with you that Indiana would probably have the edge like three through six or so. Uh, Brogdon has been. Broughton was all-star good before he got hurt. Um, Miles Turner, is still, it still feels like Miles Turner is still trying to find himself offensively. Mm-hmm. One of the most frustrating things <laughs> about watching the Pacers play is Miles Turner operating in pick and roll and popping out to like 20 and a half feet. Oh, dude. Okay. And <laughs> you just described the last three years of my life, Nikias. All right. This, you, you don't even understand the pain, man. It is, uh, it is an adventure, let me tell you. I just I I have never understood that because I like with Lamarcus Aldridge for example like he gets the ball dumped down to like eighteen feet and he just kind of does what he does and it's like fine but like it feels like Miles Turner gets more pick and roll pick and pop usage than Lamarcus Aldridge does and I just don't understand with as easy as a ball that he shoots I don't get why he pops out to like long two range like just take an extra step and it. It just changes the dimensions of the floor for everyone if he would do that consistently. He just doesn't. I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's him. It's just ingrained in him. I don't really know what it is. And it's been a consistent thing. That's really what's keeping him from being one of the most dynamic offensive centers in basketball. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Dave before about this last week, and um, it's just uh, – it, it's a conundrum, man. Like, the – I think it's tough because the team really tries to employ the Spurs kind of uh, take a great, not good shot. Um, but at the same time with, with how the league's gone, uh, especially when playing a team like Miami that shoots the three so well and at such high volume, uh, you, you got to be willing to just take the good shots that are going to generate more points over time. And I, I don't necessarily know what it is with miles. I've never, directly asked him it that's that's a tough uh player to directly ask a tough question to directly ask the player i guess uh mm-hmm. but yeah it's uh it's interesting i think he's gotten a little bit a little bit better I, he upped his three rate this year but the percentage dropped a little bit but you I, i'd rather take somebody who's, who's gunning a little bit more frequently instead of you know just waiting for a completely open shot but it's it's uh it's vexing man like he's so much better on on pops like i don't have the numbers right in front of me but i looked it up uh sometime over quarantine and he's better on pops than he is just catch and shoot. So mm-hmm. anytime that he pops and he actually gets it at three, he shoots markably better. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's something I, I promise you, it's something that I want to see happen <laughs> in the bubble. I want to see happen anywhere, but yeah. Um, who, who knows? Hopefully it'll happen soon. Uh, Cause his, his touch kind of fell off on mid range this year. He was mm-hmm. a kind of prolific mid range shooter for the, for the first couple of years. Um, and his, uh, his, his, 
the ability to hit those has kind of dropped a little bit. So hopefully that'll pick up. But um, it's interesting, too, looking at Brogdon. Uh, he, yeah, you spoke on him having almost an all-star season to start the year. Like 25 and 8 for like the first 15 or 20 games on really damn good splits. Right. Um, I'll never forget watching him to start the year. It was incredible. And uh, obviously, you know, the injuries kind of started to add up a little bit and took away from his game uh, slightly. And so uh, luckily he's, he's, you know, on the mend and he's, he's over coronavirus uh, and he is expected to play in the scrimmages this week, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting. I'm definitely happy for him. And also a really cool thing that is not related. He just announced today in his media availability that he's starting up a, a, a foundation that will be providing clean water to, to people in Africa, which I think is just incredible. He's literally he's one of the coolest guys that, that, that plays basketball and you don't even have to think about basketball to realize how cool he is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because we just really haven't seen this starting five get to work together cohesively yet. And uh, when Victor did come back, there was a lot of kind of my turn, your turn feel to it when, <laughs> uh, when, when him and Brogdon were running the show together. Uh, which I think definitely needs to be ironed out um, in the bubble and, and heading into a series. Um, so, you know, I think looking at at the roster in general and, and just how the teams are, if you're looking at the Pacers, who is somebody that you would choose as kind of an X factor uh, that you would be worried about in in a, in a playoff scenario? Um, I feel the easy answer is Brogdon because if he's healthy, it kind of leans into Miami's issues in um, containing the ball at the top of the court, um, that point of attack defense. Malcolm Brogdon is one of the best drivers in basketball, and I think he would have the ability to collapse Miami's defense consistently. And even though Indiana isn't a team that takes a lot of threes, I think Brogdon would create a lot of those looks. But uh, I guess also in that vein, I think the X factor would probably be, um, I would say, Doug McDermott. Because I do think Miami has had some trouble kind of tracking shooters as well. Um, I think he would be the kind of guy that Indiana needs to open up the offense since they don't generally take a lot of threes. He is the best um, movement shooter that they have. Um, I would probably lean McDermott, honestly. I think he can be the guy that kind of light up Miami's second unit. Well, yeah, that's uh, it's actually it's it's poor for you guys because uh, Doug McDermott has a very notable major discrepancy between home and away shooting. So when he when when we're at home, he shoots like sub thirty five percent from three, which is horrible for him. He shot almost forty percent this year, and then on away he shoots like forty five percent from three. Same volume, everything. I have no <laughs> idea why there's a difference, but it's been a difference for like two years. Uh, ever since he's been a Pacer. Um, I totally agree with that. And I think in the same vein, I would choose Duncan Robinson for sure mm-hmm. as the Heat's uh, X factor that I would be most worried about for the Pacers. I think uh, I think con- containing him and, and maybe trying to track him on on, uh, on defense is maybe not the issue. It's more the actions that he creates and the way that he can warp a defense is what I'd be completely worried about, um, especially looking at uh, the, the indie front court when – when the Heat go small and Bam is playing center, I do worry about how we would defend those lineups uh, because, I mean, I, I would presume that – I mean, Sabonis is probably going to get the assignment, but sometimes he gets cross-matched onto the four. Uh, and if that's Derek Jones Jr., I do not like that matchup at all. Derek Jones can put the ball on the four a little bit on somebody way bigger uh, and slower than him. So that would be a tough one. Um, it's, it's, it's weird to look at uh, just how things might match up. Uh, and, and, you know, and speaking on Brogdon, 
who do you think Butler would guard in this series? Because I think if, if Old Depot is healthy and, and Brogdon is healthy, uh, do you think he takes TJ Warren? Or because I wonder like who would take TJ Warren if, if Butler doesn't? Because who would have the size and ability to match up with him that well? Um, if Depot's healthy, I would prop I would anticipate Butler takes Ola Depot. Mm-hmm. And Miami has sometimes perfectly just kind of stashed Duncan Robinson on these power ring power wings just to give him more reps in that regard. That's um that's actually a little story that's come out before the season about um his development. The Eric Spolster told him preseason, like, hey, we're gonna give you tough assignments and you're going to lose a lot of them, but we want to see how you fight. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially since TJ Warren isn't um, – I don't think he's a three-level threat. He has the ability to score from all three levels, but he's still mostly a 19 or 20-feet million guy. So I think Miami could live with TJ Warren kind of operating for the mid-post, and if he scores, he kind of scores. It's kind of whatever. But I think they're going to try to throw the wet blanket on Victor Oladipo. I think Butler gets that assignment. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think uh... – It'll be interesting to see uh, how TJ defends uh, defends Jimmy, though, because TJ was uh, recently asked about how excited he is to to get into the playoffs for the first time, and he's amped, man. So I'm psyched for him. He's a, he's a really cool dude, and um, that'll be pretty awesome to see. Um, so, you know, going into just the playoffs in general in the bubble, uh, what do you think would be a successful uh, – like a successful time uh, for the Heat and what, what they get out of this? Um, I think in a vacuum, a strong showing in the second round would probably be a success story for Miami. Because if they do get Indiana in the first round, I do think, you know, all due respect with all the injuries and stuff they dealt with. And just in general, they've had success in the regular season. I do think Miami would be favorite in the first round series. And if they're in the four or five matchup, if they're in the four or five bracket, that means they get Milwaukee in round two because Milwaukee's not going to be in the first round, to be honest. But um, if Miami gets Milwaukee in the second round, they match up well with them. Um, you take the regular season with a grain of salt, of course, but Milwaukee did not beat Miami this year. Miami has two guys in Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler that can legitimately bother Giannis. A third guy in Derrick Jones Jr. who has, at least has the length to bother him. Um, they have the pick-and-pop bigs and Kelly O'Neill and Myers Leonard since they're, they're all healthy now to kind of um, abuse Milwaukee's drop scheme. So I think all the makings are there for Miami to pull an upset. I would not pick Miami to do that. I would say Milwaukee wins that series still. But if Miami shows up strong in the second round, I think you consider the season a success, especially coming from where they started this year. Yeah, yeah, I would fully agree with that. Um, and and in, in terms of moving forward and looking at next year, I think, I mean, this is still a pretty young team. Obviously, Jimmy is is kind of the veteran guy and Goran's a little bit older. But um, this team is built to – to contend moving forward. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's not quite there yet in terms of being a team that can contend with, with Milwaukee on a consistent basis. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think this team does or, or what's a, a way that this team can take that next step towards contention? Well, it's obviously going to depend on how much of an effect the pandemic has had on the cap for the next few years. But I think Miami's been circling 2021 for a while. A lot of teams have been circling 2021 for a while. But Miami specifically, I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, they're, they're, there's a bird in the bush somewhere. When it comes to the brand, the deal thing, there's a lot of smoke with Victor Oladipo. Um, I think they're obviously, Giannis is the big fish. 
Um, if I had to guess today, I don't think Giannis goes to Miami. But I mean, Miami's going to get him in a room at least. Um, I would get. I would guess that Miami lands at least one of those three by 2021. Um, would not surprise. It's probably going to be one of the shooting guards. I'm not going to put you in a tough spot. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think oh, that man. next. I do think that next step for Miami is using that 2021 cap space and landing another initiator. Because as good as Jimmy Butler is, he just doesn't have the pull-up equity to really bother his teams in the half court. And I think that's really what's going to put Miami over the top. So I think if they were to add a Bradley Beal or um, that other guy that I won't speak of, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, gives a, that gives Miami a late-game option that can knock down some jumpers. And Jimmy Butler's a smart enough passer. He's a smart enough cutter to kind of work off of that type of guy. So I, I think this is kind of step one in Miami really building a contender. I think 2021 is where they make their big move. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so it's interesting. I will, I will talk on it. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to look at. Um, it, it's kind of, I'd love to get your feedback on it as well on, on what you just think about the way that things play out in media and everything. Um, mm-hmm. It's been really interesting to to be part of kind of the media cycle and and see how things have have played out a little bit with Victor. Um, I think there's, uh, I mean, to say that there isn't some smoke there would be disingenuous and totally, you know, just bullshit. I mean, there is for sure. Um, he lives in Miami part time. His, his his gym is there. Um, he rehabbed there uh, during the season and and, and last season. Um, but at the same time, I think he's spoken very highly of the Pacers organization and wanting to stay here and. Um, I just think he's a little bit fed up with the media and um, them constantly hounding him. And I, you know, I can't fault him for that. Um, it's uh, obviously there's, there's some questions in, in, in regards to uh, it was weird for me when finding out that uh, he, he went through Shams Sharania instead of team PR, you know, I think it's not like that's a completely uncommon thing, uh, but mm-hmm. to, to do that uh, without, you know, telling the team first that that's going to happen is, is definitely a weird look. Um, cause I remember I was on the, on the team call with Nate McMillan, uh, a couple days later and he was asked how he, uh, he found out about Victor, uh, deciding to sit out the first time. He said, I found out the exact same way you guys did. And <laughs> that was a, a little bit of a red flag. Um, but yeah, man, I, I hope he doesn't leave Indiana because if, if he leaves Indiana, that, that, you know, that totally just shoots this team's contention, uh, window out. Um, but yeah, man, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. I would imagine it's extra. It would be extra stressful for the fan base just because they're kind of off the, they're still on the heels of the Paul George thing. So just as the, like the um, example you just mentioned with Victor kind of going through shams to announce that he's sitting out instead of going to the team. Um, it just see it just feels like from the outside looking in, it just looks like a really a uh, breakdown in communication. Mm-hmm. And it kind of looks like a lack of trust if he's going there instead of going to the team first, especially when it's health-related and he's also kind of on the cusp of a contract year. Like, it just kind of adds to the smoke that's already there with him having so many Miami ties, and that's not even mentioning the whole Tom Cream, Dwayne Wade, Miami connection. So it's it's weird, um, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, and it's – see, I don't know. Like, speaking on, my, on, uh, on Indiana fans – um, maybe partially it's because I don't live in Indiana. I live over in Ohio, but uh, you know, I think I, I err, you know, I'm, I'm definitely more on in terms of player empowerment and, 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 and on the player side um, that obviously, you know, it's not everybody, but I take things to heart sometimes. And I think there's been 
a lot of uh, a lot of backlash towards Vic that has been totally unwarranted and uh, and unfair. Just you know, speaking on him being selfish and this and that. And I think a lot of people just don't really realize or, or take into account how significant his injury was um, mm-hmm. and uh, how difficult it is to come back and rehab from that. You know, I think if it if it was a regular season and he comes back, you know, he's he's unsure coming into a regular season, and then uh, there there hasn't been the entire layoff from coronavirus and everything. So he can rehab normally, and then he comes in and he's unsure if he wants to play. Yeah, that's okay. You know, maybe that's different. But um, to come off this kind of time, I mean, uh, I, I I don't I actually I, I didn't ask you if you played sports or anything growing up, but you know, just uh, did you play sports growing up? Yeah, I did play a little bit. Okay, cool. All right, so like it's out of the way because I you know I did too, and you know just looking at injuries and everything, I mean, I just think about if I took like a week off from practice, how how that impacted my body. Yeah. Um, and then you go from, you know, I mean, Vic talks about how he had his, his garage became his gym. He tried to make his gym, his garage mm-hmm. into a gym. So he couldn't meet with his trainers regularly. Uh, he couldn't go to his regular facilities and, you know, that can just totally throw off your, your habits and, and everything you do. And, you know, as you know, uh, athletes, especially professional ones are, are creatures of habit, especially the mm-hmm. really good ones. Uh, so definitely, you know, some of the, some, something that I think people, could uh could look at a little bit more closely. Yeah, and again, this is this is going to be hitting in 2021, even if he were to stay in Indiana. Like this is his time, this is his chance for his big, big, big check. Like this this puts him in that seven to nine year veteran range, which gives which is what 30% of the cap if he were to get the max. Like this he needs this is setting himself up for his big for the biggest paycheck of his life. So I don't think he should be faulted for taking all the precautions that he needs with his body, A, with the type of injury, B, what that means financially, and also, as you mentioned, the pandemic has thrown off a lot of things. So I think it's it behooves him to be extra careful about that. Yeah, exactly, man. Mm-hmm. I can't agree anymore. Um, so, you know, before we get you out of here, what are, what are you working on uh, coming up? I actually – so I, I just read you did a, you did a piece, a collaborative article for Rice Ricky Sanchez – uh, that was really good. If if anybody has not checked that out, definitely go. It was, I believe, Adam Aronson set it up. It was you, Caitlin Cooper, Ben Rauman, uh, and and Adam himself. It was really good. So go check it out. It's kind of an Eastern Conference uh, prospectus. Um, so what are you working on, man? Appreciate that. First and foremost, um, I just had a piece drop for Bleach Report yesterday. Um, with everything with the bubble taking place in Orlando, there's no home court. So I kind of want to look at who's performed the best away from home in the playoffs over the last few years. So um, more, it was more of a stat based article, um, but did want to get into that. Um, right now I'm just kind of going through a bunch of film, just trying to get my mind ready for this restart. Just kind of, uh, um, I tweeted out earlier about um, PJ, Tug- how PJ Tucker has defended Nikola Jokic. Cause I anticipate that being, a play that could be a potential playoff matchup. And that's going to be one of the biggest questions with Houston going so small. Um, how are they going to defend centers? And Nikola Jokic is the kind of center that can score efficiently enough to beat them up and also passes well enough to kind of, um, I mean, to dot Houston up if they have to send there for help. So I'm just kind of looking at those things, just kind of looking at film all over, kind of gearing myself up for you know, the scrimmages coming up this week. Um, the, the regular season restarts next week. So just trying to get myself in the flow of that. Oh, awesome, man. So, you know, one more quick question. How are you, uh, how are you viewing scrimmages? Because that's one thing I'm trying to get my mind 
around a little bit. I'm excited to watch scrimmages, which is crazy to say. I never thought I'd say that in my life. Um, but I'm, I'm just to have some basketball back. But I, I really don't know how I'm going to – how am I going to talk about it? How am I going to write about it? How am I going to look at it? You know, because it feels almost uh, – feels weird to, like, watch a scrimmage and be like, okay, well, I can take something from this, you know, especially with, with the layoff and everything. Yeah, I think it's weird. It's re- it's gonna be it's gonna have major preseason feel. I feel like, mm-hmm. but um, since I'm I'm gonna be watching everybody, but since I have a Miami focus, um, the biggest thing for Miami, I think, is gonna be the defense. So I think all I'm the most important thing I'm gonna be watching in terms of these scrimmages is even beyond how well Miami f- defends. It's gonna be how are they defending? Are they sticking with that drop? Are they still switching a bunch like they were post trade deadline? Are they mixing in a bunch of zone? If they are mixing in zone, who's out there when they do run the zone? Um, Eric Spoelstra just talked about using everyone on the roster during the scrimmages and stuff. So I want to see if a guy like Casey Apollo gets more playing time. And if he does, if he shows more trust there, what does that mean for Derrick Jones Jr.'s future since he's up for a contract this year? So uh, just it's going to be less results, more process stuff. Um, just really looking at what Miami's doing schematically, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. Just trying to take little nuggets there. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, Nikias, thank you again for coming on, man. Uh, to everyone listening, uh, thank you for listening. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe on Spotify and anywhere else you can get your podcasts and check out our articles on IndyCornRolls.com. Also, uh, follow Nikias over at NikiasMBA on Twitter. Uh, check out all of his stuff and uh, make sure to, to, to give anything he's on a listen. Have a good one, man.